Hello, and welcome to Notes in the Week Ahead, a JP Morgan Asset Management podcast that provides insights on the markets and the economy to help you stay informed in the week ahead. Hello, this is David Kelly. I'm Chief Strategist here at JP Morgan Asset Management. Today is August 14th, 2023. The only real drawback to my job is the number of flights I have to take. But this is a serious drawback when evening flights get delayed. Without the energy to do any productive work, I often combat the misery by playing board games on my iPad, and I've lately added Monopoly to my repertoire. I used to play Monopoly as a child, of course, but my strategy has evolved with the years. When I was younger, I hated owning boring railroads. Now I quite like them. They never provide you with the fortune you can extract from a guest at your boardwalk hotel, but if you own all four of them, they generate a nice steady income and sooner or later someone will pick up the chance card that triggers the minor windfall of double rent. Holding high quality fixed income today has similar characteristics. The income for the first time in many years is very respectable. In addition, sooner or later the economy will stumble, the Fed will cut rates sharply, and long bonds should provide a nice one-time capital gain. For investors, however, it would be nice to have an idea of the extent of that capital gain, and more broadly the likely level of interest rates when inflation has returned to the Fed's 2% goal and the Fed has abandoned what it now admits is restrictive policy. In other words, where are real rates likely to settle in the long run? Before I get going on this, just one sidebar. For the purpose of this analysis, I'm defining the real 10-year Treasury yield as the yield to maturity on the nominal 10-year Treasury bond minus the year-over-year percentage change in core CPI, that's CPI excluding food and energy. Now, this is an imperfect measure, since real interest rates should be calculated based on expected inflation over the maturity of the bond. However, since we don't have a consistent series on long-term inflation expectations, I use core inflation over the prior year as a proxy. Since the core CPI series starts in January 1957, the first real rate we can calculate is for January 1958. Now back to the article. A first rough estimate of real rates for the long run can be found by examining the average level of real 10-year Treasury yields from January 1958 to July 2023. Over that more than 65-year period, the average core CPI inflation rate has been 3.68%, the average nominal 10-year Treasury yield has been 5.76%, and the average real yield on a 10-year Treasury has been 2.09%. However, this is probably too rough an answer, as it neglects long-term changes in the pace of economic growth, the volatility of inflation, and burgeoning supply and demand for US Treasury bonds. It also neglects the recent activism of the Federal Reserve in deploying monetary policy. Today, that activism is directed at crushing inflation. However, if, as we believe, inflation heads down to and then falls slightly below the Fed's target in the next year or two, the Fed may well end up in a much more dovish position, leading to real long-term rates which are somewhere between the levels prior to the Great Financial Crisis and those of the disinflationary interlude between the GFC and the pandemic recession. Finally, it neglects the evidence on real rates provided by the US tips market since tips were first issued in 1997. Real 10-year Treasury yields have been anything but constant over the past 65 years, ranging from a peak of 8.76% in August 1983 to a trough of negative 4.5% in February 2022. These extremes undoubtedly reflect a sharp divergence between actual inflation over the past year and expected inflation in the long run. More broadly, though, there appear to be roughly five chapters to the story of real rates since the 1950s. Real rates were relatively stable, at close to 2%, 
1958 to 1973, collapsed in the inflationary 1970s as inflation consistently supplied, surprised bondholders in the upside, vaulted higher in the early 1980s as investors assumed high inflation was here to stay, drifted down for almost 40 years as inflation steadily faded, and then collapsed again when the economy experienced a surge in inflation due to the effects of the pandemic, fiscal stimulus, and the war in Ukraine. Throughout these decades, however, there's also been a positive relationship between real rates and real GDP growth. Theoretically, this makes sense. An economy with strong real economic growth should provide good returns on capital in general, and a government wanting to attract investors will have to offer high real interest rates. Empirically, however, the relationship is far from a tight fit. Looking at quarterly data from the start of 1958 to the middle of 2023, there is a statistically significant relationship between the year-over-year -year growth in real GDP and the real 10-year Treasury yield, with a 1 percentage point increase in the real GDP growth rate, boosting the real yield by 0.28%. However, this relationship explains only 10% of the variation in real yields over this period. That being said, we currently expect US real GDP growth to average just 1.6% per year over the next 10 to 15 years, compared to 2.94% since 1957. This on its own suggests real 10-year Treasury yields going forward could be 0.37% lower than their 65.5-year average of 2.09%, or in other words, 1.72%. Inflation expectations have also clearly had an impact on real rates over time. The very low real rates throughout the decade of the 1970s, as investors were surprised by high inflation, were followed by a period of very high real rates, as investors expected inflation to remain high even as it fell. Moreover, independent of the actual level of inflation, real rates were likely boosted by perceived inflation volatility as investors demanded greater compensation for the uncertainty surrounding the real value of future coupon payments. However, this is an area where it's probably important not to follow a historical playbook too slavishly. The great inflation of the 1970s undoubtedly changed investors' perceptions of future inflation. However, this was a prolonged surge in inflation, building over three waves. Year-over-year -year core CPI inflation rose every year from 1965 to 1970, peaking at 6.8% in November 1970, fell back some in the face of recession, then re-accelerated in 1972, peaking at 11.8% in February of 1975, fell back again in the face of a huge recession, and then rose again starting in 1977, peaking at 13.8% in June of 1980. After 15 years, 15 years of surging inflation, inflationary psychology had truly taken hold. By contrast, after more than 40 years of steady or falling inflation, the most recent inflation surge only started in the spring of 2021, with core CPI inflation peaking at 6.6% year-over-year in September 2022. This has since fallen back to 4.7% year-over-year in July 2023. If, as we currently expect, core CPI inflation continues to drift down to 3.4% year-over-year by December of 2023 and 2.0% year-over-year by December 2024, investors may well quickly conclude that the inflation surge of early, the early 2020s was a one-time temporary spike after all in an economy which will likely see low and stable inflation going forward. If so, they are unlikely to demand the kind of compensation for inflation uncertainty going forward that was evident in the very high real interest rates of the 1980s. Outside of growth in inflation, real interest rates will presumably be impacted by the supply of and demand for treasuries going forward. The supply of treasuries has, of course, soared in this century. 
At the end of 1999, federal debt in the hands of the public was $3.7 trillion, or 37.5% of GDP. By the second quarter of 2020, in the midst of the pandemic, it had ballooned to $20.5 trillion, or 104.6% of GDP. Since then, in nominal terms, the debt has continued to grow, reaching $25.5 trillion by the end of June, although falling back slightly relative to the size of the economy, retreating to 96.8% of GDP. This growth in federal debt should, all other things being equal, have boosted real interest rates. However, all other things have clearly not been equal. First, the Federal Reserve has served as an additional powerful buyer of Treasury bonds in recent years, boosting its holdings from $740 billion at the start of 2008 to a peak of $5.8 trillion in June of last year. Moreover, today, after more than a year of quantitative tightening, the Fed still holds over $5 trillion in Treasuries, money the federal government doesn't need to borrow from private investors. The Fed is now reducing its Treasury holdings by up to $60 billion per month, or $720 billion per year. And Chairman Powell hinted at his last press conference that it could, could continue to reduce its Treasury holdings, even as it cut interest rates in response to lower inflation. However, if the Fed instead finds itself cutting rates in response to economic weakness, as it very likely will do over the course of the next year or two, quantitative tightening will likely stop, and outsized Treasury bond holdings are likely a permanent fixture of the fixed income landscape going forward. In addition, ballooning Treasury supply has been matched in recent decades by ballooning Treasury demand. Economic progress, the aging of the population and increased inequality have all likely contributed to a growing global demand for Treasuries both from individuals planning for retirement and institutions trying to offset long-duration liabilities. Indeed, as far back as 2005, the then-Fed chairman Alan Greenspan talked about the conundrum whereby he simply couldn't explain why long-term interest rates were so low for both Treasuries and other global government bonds around the world. The most obvious explanation, though, is fast-growing global demand for long-term high-quality bonds. This is, for obvious reasons, very hard to quantify. However, if we assume a continuation of the trends that have spurred a strong secular surge in the demand for treasuries, and political gridlock leading to slower growth in fiscal debt going forward, future real interest rates seem as likely to reflect the experience of the decade prior to the pandemic as the five decades that preceded the great financial crisis. Averaging the two periods together suggests a real 10-year yield of 1.61%. Finally, there's the market for Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, or TIPS. TIPS were introduced by the US Treasury in 1997 and promise a real yield supplemented by the actual rate of inflation as measured by headline CPI. When TIPS were first issued, they carried very high real yields, reflecting a lack of liquidity in a relatively new market. However, as the TIPS market has grown over the years, the real yields offered in the market should have become more indicative of the real rates demanding, demanded by investors. That being said, even in recent years, real TIP yields have varied widely, ranging from a low of negative 1.17% in August 2021 to a 15-year high of 1.80% as of last Friday. Of course, it should be noted that the last four months have seen a sharp sell-off in the Treasury market, with 10-year nominal bond yields rising by 0.86% to 4.16%, and 10-year TIP yields rising by 0.74% to 1.80%. It's quite possible that in this sharp sell-off, both of these yields have moved above their long, likely long-term equilibrium levels. So where does all of this leave us? On balance, it is, of course, a judgment call. However, putting together the evidence suggests a real 10-year Treasury yield of roughly 1.7% going forward. 
In the long run, I expect inflation as measured by the personal consumption deflation to run slightly below the Fed's 2% target. Adding on roughly 0.2% to take account of the difference between CPI inflation and consumption deflation inflation suggests a long-run core CPI inflation rate of 2.0%. If this is accompanied by a 1.7% real rate, nominal 10-year Treasury yields could average 3.7% in the long run. Starting from today's nominal 10-year Treasury yield of 4.16%, this implies a small capital gain getting back to the average. However, it's more likely that the yield will fall below that average when inevitably the economy is threatened by recession and the Fed cuts rates aggressively. At that point, yields could well fall to levels that are then unattractive for long-term investors. However, between now and then, like monopoly railroads, Treasury bonds offer attractive income and the chance of a tidy one-time capital gain at an uncertain date over the next year or two. Well, that's it for this week. Please tune in again next week. And if you have any questions in the meantime, please reach out to your J.P. Morgan representative. This content is intended for information only based on assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change. No warranty of accuracy is given. This content does not contain sufficient information to support investment decisions. It is not to be construed as research, legal, regulatory, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Investments involve risks. Investors should seek professional advice or make an independent evaluation before investing. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate, including loss of capital. Past performance and yield are not indicative of current or future results. Forecasts and estimates may or may not come to pass. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide.